Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack. And in this episode, we are back with our monthly Ask Austin Anything for February 2023. So if you've been a long-time listener, you're familiar with these, but if you are new, this is our monthly episode where I source questions from listeners just like you, and I answer them right here on the podcast. So if you have a burning question that you want me to answer for next month's or a future Ask Austin Anything, all you have to do is head to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA, that's the letter A three times, and you can submit your question there. For today's episode, I have five questions that are mainly focused around personal branding and LinkedIn growth and some tools that I like to use for my website and my business. But I also have one job search related question around interview follow-ups as well. So it should be an action-packed episode. I am really excited to share. Without further ado, let's jump in. Our first question comes from Sahan, who's asking, what are your steps and timelines for a post-interview follow-up? So first off, you should always be following up after your interviews. At the end of the day, many companies don't have a great process around this. And this is where ghosting tends to come into play for many people. They simply think that if the company wanted them, then the company would reach out and they don't really do anything on their side. But we can also get stuck with following up once and then not really knowing what to say. So if the interviewer said, you know, hit us up after two weeks if you don't hear from us and you do that and you still don't hear back, then what do you say? What do you do? Where do you go from there? So this is a great question for all of those reasons. And we can walk through this step by step. So first and foremost, you should be sending a thank you note after your interview immediately, basically as quickly as you possibly can without sacrificing the quality of that thank you note. And I do have a bunch of episodes on writing thank you notes. We have blog posts and LinkedIn posts and all that good stuff. But essentially what you should be doing in your thank you note is first thanking the interviewer for their time. You'd be surprised at how many people don't actually say the words thank you in their thank you note. The second thing you should do is recap one of the specific items that you talked about in your conversation with them. So you want to show them that you actively listened, that you paid attention and that you cared about what they had to say. And that is the best way to do that. And then finally, you just want to wrap up by thanking them again and then offering to share any more information that would be helpful and that you're excited to hear about next steps and you're wishing them a ton of success with the hire. So you want to get that out again as quickly as possible. I recommend within the first two hours. If you can't do that, within the first four is great. Definitely within the first 24. But even if you can't make that happen, sending a thank you note at any point in time is better than not sending one at all. So try to get that out there. And then the next thing you want to pay attention to is the timeline that the company gave you. So oftentimes companies will tell you, hey, we're interviewing candidates over the next X weeks or X days. So give us that time and then we'll let you know about next steps. So if they do give you that window, you want to respect that. You don't want to show up and be the person who's following up after a week when they told you they needed two weeks to interview other candidates. That's just not a good look for you. But sometimes companies won't give you any sort of indication on that timeline. And if that's the case, I always like to give them a minimum of five business days before I send that first follow-up. And that basically gives them a full week to think about things, to process things, to have conversations, to interview other people. And then I can politely follow up and feel good about it because I'm not pressuring them, I'm not rushing them, and they didn't give me a timeline. So I am respecting their time, I am giving them a little bit of space, but I'm also being politely persistent. 
Now, going back to the other scenario where they did give you the timeline, if you don't hear back from them within that timeline, then you should set a note in your calendar or reminders or whatever it is to follow up with them on the first day after that timeline expires. So if they said they get back to you in two weeks, make a note for the 15th day, which is the day after that two-week period ends, to follow up with them. And basically, what you're trying to do here in that initial follow-up is just sending them a note and saying something along the lines of, you know, hey, so-and-so, I hope you're having an awesome week, and I hope the hiring process for insert-specific role is going well. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked, and I know that you mentioned you all needed two weeks to flesh out, you know, some of these conversations, interview other folks. I just wanted to check back here and let you know how enthusiastic I am about this role, how excited I am. I think this is an awesome fit and I would love to continue to be considered here. If you need any more information from IN to help make this decision easy one way or the other, please let me know. I'm happy to provide it. And so all we're doing here is just saying, hey, it's been the amount of time that you mentioned. I just want to check back in, make sure everything's in good shape. And you're doing this in a politely persistent way. You're being persistent, but you're not being pushy. You're not being aggressive. And then from this point moving forward, I would set reminders in your calendar for every five days. And I would continue to follow up with them every five days that you don't hear. Because again, even if we wait them out two weeks or whatever timeline they give us and we follow up the day after, we don't want to shift immediately into that pushy or aggressive mode. And I know this is really hard because once you've already waited that amount of time, that's a pretty decent amount of time. And so you want to keep moving the ball forward. But it's important that we stay respectful of their time and we let them know that, you know, we're patiently waiting over here. We're going to be politely persistent, but we're not going to be pushy or aggressive. That is the best way to keep this conversation moving forward without, you know, ruffling any feathers or rubbing people the wrong way and negatively impacting your candidacy. And then I would continue to follow up with them for about two to three follow-ups. And if you don't hear back from them after that, unfortunately, I think you have to move on and you should continue to interview no matter what. You should continue on with your job search process, even if you are currently in the interview process with the company that you absolutely love. Because unfortunately, being in the interview process does not mean that you are guaranteed a job offer and you are competing with a lot of other people. So it is possible that you may not get this offer and you don't want to have to go back to absolute scratch. You don't want to have zero irons in the fire. So it is really important that you keep your job search going. And that also gives you ammo that you can use in your follow-ups. So you might be able to reach back out and say, hey, so-and-so, I have a final round interview over here and I'm expecting an offer or I've gotten another offer over here and you're actually my first choice company. So can we speed this process up? It just gives you a little bit more leverage. So the keys here are to, no matter what you do, follow up and send that thank you right after the interview. Then you wanna make sure that you follow up at least five business days after your interview if you don't have a timeline or right after the timeline that they give you. And then you wanna follow up two or three more times after that just to make sure that you're staying politely persistent. And if you don't hear back after that, you can move on with your job search. And I know that's tough to do, but that is the right move so that you don't invest any more emotion or time into this path that doesn't really seem like it's gonna pan out. Our next question comes from Nathan, who's asking, what's something you spent a lot of time on when starting your company that if you were starting it again, you would skip? So this is an easy answer for me, and it is trying to do too many things, trying to go too wide all at once, and especially too early. So this has bitten me a number of times throughout my entrepreneurial journey, but especially early on, we have so many options, and we, all we want to do is grow our business. We want to get to that threshold where 
we feel like we actually have a legitimate business. And that could be, you know, a certain number of users, a certain amount of money, whatever it is. But we're really willing to basically try anything to get to that point, right? And there are so many options out there. When you're starting a business, people tell you to get on social media, people tell you to blog, people tell you to do SEO, they tell you to do video content, they tell you to do written content, they tell you to do paid ads, they tell you to do masterminds, like all of these things. And it can be so easy to try to do all of them because you so desperately want that one thing that's going to click into place and then start to create that flywheel for your business. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that you just end up spreading yourself too thin. So even, you know, within the confines of social media, how many platforms are there, right? There's LinkedIn, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's TikTok, there's Twitter, there's all these platforms. And if you try to be on all of them at once, the max that you could give to one specific platform is a fraction of your time, right? If you're on five social platforms, the max amount of energy you can give to any one equally is 20%. And if you're giving a specific one more than that, it means that one of the other ones is getting less attention. And so what ends up happening is you don't make any progress because your time, your energy, your focus is spread too thin. So instead, what I recommend that you do is have that singular focus. And this is actually exactly what took my business to the next level and exactly the problem that I ran into. So when I was starting my business, I was on multiple social platforms at the same time. I was on LinkedIn, I was on Instagram, I was on YouTube, I was blogging, I was doing all these things and none of them were making progress. So I took a step back and I asked myself, what am I really good at? What plays right into my strengths? And the answer at that time was SEO. So I actually stopped doing everything else. And I doubled down on SEO for a year. And it took my site traffic from about 5,000 visitors a month to over 100,000 visitors a month. And that was because I completely doubled down on something that I knew aligned with my strengths and my skill set, but also something that I had seen the most traction with. SEO was where we were generating the most traffic of any of those channels. So I'd encourage you to do the same thing. But it doesn't just stop there. This is something that persists as you grow your business. And it's pervasive across every aspect of it, from your products, to your marketing channels, to pretty much anything else. There's always more options, more software, more strategies that you could be testing out. And I've run into this as I've tried to scale my business with products too. So initially, our business was based on digital courses. And then we saw this huge demand for coaching. So I started doing coaching as well. And now I basically was running two businesses. I had a coaching business and a digital course business. And then I tried to expand my coaching. So I wasn't just doing career coaching, but I was doing LinkedIn coaching. And then we added in our tools on top of that. And so basically what I ended up doing was creating four separate businesses for myself that I all had to run at the same time. And so most recently, the exercise that I've been going through is basically finding ways to keep the other businesses going while shifting a significant portion of my time and energy into our coaching business and really growing that. Because as I've seen many times in my entrepreneurial journey, when I take stock of what's working and what aligns with my strengths and where we have the most momentum and I double down on that, that's when we start to see growth that is exponential and takes us to the next level. So for you, if you're starting a business, the biggest thing I'd recommend is choose one marketing channel that aligns to your strengths and your talents and that you may already be seeing traction in and choose one monetization method, marry the two and then quadruple down on that, like invest as deeply as you possibly can on that. And do not expand until you have fully mastered each of those channels and until you have far surpassed the initial goals that you had for yourself. So I actually did well with this on the social side where on LinkedIn, I didn't expand to another channel 
channel until I had hit multiple hundreds of thousands of followers. And that made it really easy to grow on other social channels because I already had content, I already had strategies, etc. So that would be my recommendation is have a goal for each of those channels for your marketing channel and for your monetization channel. When you hit that goal, keep going until you three, four, five X that goal. And then you can start to think about expanding because Hitting that goal is usually just the beginning of understanding the true potential of that channel and getting your systems in place and optimizing your processes and all of that. So you want to go a little bit further and then you can finally start to expand and you have a really solid base to do that from. So that would be my recommendation there. And in a similar vein, Caleb is asking, I've recently hit a plateau with my LinkedIn follower growth. Any advice on how to revamp? So the best piece of advice I have for any stagnation on LinkedIn or on social media is to dive back into the data. And I really like to look at this across three specific channels. I like to look at my own content. I like to look at content from creators that I look up to and want to emulate. And I also look at it from the perspective of what's working on the platform. So the easy way to do this is to take it channel by channel. And for your own content, I would go back and I would look at your content for the last six months and identify your top you know, five to 10 posts or whatever it is. And you can tie this directly to a metric. So if you wanna look at the posts that generated the most followers for you, you should do that. And if you're not keeping track of your metrics with your posts, so how many followers you add every day, how many you know views and engagements each post get, you should definitely be doing that. I personally have a spreadsheet where I have all that information and it has been a critical part of the growth that I've seen. But if you have that information, then you can go back and you can do this. You can look at, you know, which post generated the most followers or which post generated the most leads or which post generated the most sales or whatever it is. And then you can try to understand what commonalities exist between those posts. So is it certain topics? Is it certain hooks that you use? Is it certain uh, post structures and styles and formats? All of these things are things that you can take a look at and then you can bake them into your future content. And then you basically want to do the same thing with the creators and the platform. So for the creators, go look at, let's say, the posts from five of your favorite creators and try to identify two or three posts from each that are performing significantly above their average. So maybe three to four X their average when it comes to reactions and comments, et cetera. And then put them in a spreadsheet and do the same thing. Take a look at them. What topics are, are going on here? What subtopics? What hooks are they using? What structures and styles? What's the length of the post in terms of characters, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can compare that to the metrics and the learnings that you got from your own posts. And then finally, you can do this for the platform. So just scrolling through your feed and seeing what posts, what viral posts, what posts with significant engagement is LinkedIn serving you or is this social platform serving you? And then you can make a list of the ones that resonate with you that kind of align with what you're talking about. And you can run through that same analysis. And so now what you're going to have is specific topics, subtopics, post structures and styles, hooks, character count, et cetera, for content that is great in your own space, like your own content, content that is great from creators you look up to and content that the platform is pushing. So you get a little bit of algorithmic insight. And now you can look at all of that and you can say, okay, what are the commonalities across the very best posts from the platform, from creators I want to emulate and myself? And now you can bake that into your own content moving forward. So this is actually something that I do pretty frequently. I do it uh, usually on about a quarterly basis, just so I can keep up with different trends that are happening on the platform. I can keep up with what the algorithm algorithm is pushing and I can keep up with what people on the platform, people in my audience want to see. And that's how I've been able to consistently maintain growth and engagement over the last you know, five, six years at this point 
um, instead of just dropping off where, you know, that tends to happen to a lot of creators who only stick with one medium or don't do this type of analysis. So that has helped me push through a lot of plateaus on LinkedIn, whether it's follower growth or engagement or anything else. So I hope that helps you, Caleb, and I would definitely recommend taking a stab at that. Our next question comes from Abby, who's asking, what are your favorite websites or platforms for online creation ventures? For example, course creation, hosting, newsletters, et cetera. So I can walk you through my stack here. I'm not saying that my stack is necessarily the best or the easiest place to start. If you are starting out, I would look for one of these all-in-one platforms like a Kajabi or, or something along those lines, because when you're starting out, the best thing that you can do is make everything as simple as possible. And so if you're sacrificing some customization and some ex extra features and third-party integrations in order to maintain that simplicity and have a platform that works really, really cohesively and, and well together, that's worth it. That is absolutely worth it at the very beginning because you don't need all that extra stuff. You may think you do. Content out there may tell you that you do. Gurus and experts may tell you that you do. You do not. I'm here to tell you that you do not need that when you're starting out. You want to keep it as freaking simple as you possibly can. So I would recommend one of these all-in platforms. I, I do know a few friends who use Kajabi and they've had success with it. So that's probably the one that I would point to, although I say that uh, without having tested many of these different platforms. So take that as you will. On my side, I use a bunch of different uh, platforms and and I have a, a diverse tool stack just because our needs are a little bit more complex and, and you know a little bit different than somebody who's just starting out. So for me, you know, our website is built on WordPress. I love WordPress because it's really flexible. It does have a steep learning curve, but you can basically do anything that you want. Like we have our SaaS tools that are built right into WordPress. We have our blog on there. We have all of these different features and functionalities, and there's a ton of free plugins for WordPress. So I think WordPress powers about 25 to 30% of websites like on the entire internet. So it's a really powerful platform. I wouldn't say that it's user-friendly. Again, there is that steep learning curve, but it is really SEO friendly and it is really friendly for expansion. So I might recommend that you start somewhere else, um, again, like a Kajabi or maybe a Webflow. And then as you grow and as you need more flexibility, you could port over to WordPress. Uh, but that is just what we use. On the course side, we use something called Lifter LMS, and we actually have a, a custom layer on top of that. Our developers have kind of taken their base software and they added this custom layer on top of it, and they made it look exactly the way we want and function exactly the way we want. So again, that is way too complex if you are just starting out, um, but that is the, the tool that we use for anybody who's curious. On the newsletter side, we use ConvertKit. I absolutely love ConvertKit. I've tried a bunch of these. I've actually migrated, which if you have an email list and you've done this before, you know how much of a pain it is to migrate. But we migrated from Aweber, which we used before, and I've tried out MailChimp and a couple of others. But ConvertKit has really been the best just because they have the most robust um, setup. They have so many different tools and things that really help you manage your email list and create funnels and segments. Um, but it's super user-friendly and they have really great support. So I've been using them for a very long time now, like multiple years, and I, I wouldn't go anywhere else. And I would definitely use them if I started out uh, from scratch again. So ConvertKit is, is what we use over there. And then for payment processing, we use Stripe, but I also use a site called Samcart. And Samcart is great because they allow you to create these custom front end checkout pages, and you can use them for a number of different applications. So you can embed them in pages, you can uh, just have a standalone checkout page, you can control basically, you know, the entire way that it looks. Again, this is more complex than you might need. Um, Stripe is is really great with this. They have their own checkout pages that look really nice. There isn't a ton of flexibility there, but again, you don't really need that when you're getting started. And I'm just sharing the, the tools that I've been using. 
On the social side, I don't use any tools for LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn doesn't love third-party integrations. And I do know some friends who have had accounts suspended and things of that nature. So that's not really a risk I'm willing to take. But outside of that, on Twitter, I use a tool called Hype Fury to schedule all of my tweets. And they do integrate with LinkedIn. They also integrate with Instagram. So if we decide to go back on Instagram, I would use that as well. But it's a really, really nice intuitive interface. Um, and it's a really great way just to schedule out your content. And if you are not worried about uh, the LinkedIn side of things, plenty of my creator friends uh, with really big followings use Hype Fury for LinkedIn. So uh, I personally do not. I wouldn't recommend using tools on LinkedIn, but you know, to each their own. And if you want to do that, Hype Fury does make it really easy. Uh, so that is kind of our main tool stack. I'm trying to think of the others that I use. You know, some more ancillary tools. I use Loom all the time. I use Loom to answer questions. I use Loom in our sales um, because it's really nice to have like a personal face. I use uh, it for networking. I use it for documentation and education. I use it for so many things. And it's probably the best bang for your buck tool that that we have. Uh, and then we also use Calendly for our whole coaching setup. We use their custom integrations and workflows. They have really, really nice setups there for reconfirming attendance and for you know sending emails both before and after calls. And then we also use uh, for anybody who's interested in taking those Twitter threads and converting them to LinkedIn, we use uh, TweetPick and Canva for that. Canva basically handles all of our graphic design needs. And then this site called TweetPick allows you to turn your tweets into the screenshots. And then you can put them in Canva and you can basically have full creative freedom over those. So that's kind of the main stack of everything that I can think of off the top of my head. But if anybody's curious about a specific tool for a specific use case, uh, feel free to shoot me a note or drop it in the Ask Austin Anything submission form. And I'm totally happy to help out there. Our last question comes from Jean-Noël, who's asking, what are the three important ingredients for high-impact personal branding? So I love this question because there are so many different answers to this that people share, and I'm happy to, to throw my, my two cents in the hat here. But I really think the three most important ingredients for high-impact personal branding is, one, having a specific niche that differentiates you from everybody else out there. The second thing is being ruthlessly consistent with your content creation over a long period of time. And I think the third is doing customer discovery. So we can dive deeper into each of these, but starting out with that niche and that differentiator, when you are growing a personal brand, you need to be known for something. And it's really hard to be known for something that a million other people are already known for. So to use me as a personal example, when I got on LinkedIn, when I started my business, there were already millions of career coaches and resume writers and LinkedIn coaches out there. So instead of branding myself that way, I branded myself as the person who taught people how to land jobs without applying online. And there was nobody else who had that branding at the time. You know, over time, a lot of people have, have discovered that that is a, a good niche to be in. And there's a lot more people who have jumped into the space, which is great. But uh, at the time, you know, that really differentiated me from all the other more traditional career coaches out there. So I would think about for your situation, what is everybody else saying? How's everybody else branding themselves? And how can you make yourself a little bit different in a way that really resonates with your target audience? That differentiator is going to help you create a super loyal base of supporters that's going to help you then expand and grow. So I think that's the first and most important thing there. The second is that ruthless consistency. So the number one reason people fail at personal branding and creation is because they expect results too quickly. And really the way that personal branding and, and creation works is it's a hockey stick. And at the very beginning, you have that very, very small, slow slope where you're not seeing 
any real return. And unfortunately, that tends to last for months and months and months. Most of the creators that I know who have six-figure audiences, seven-figure audiences, they went through a period of creation where they showed up, they created, and they shared every single day for about six to 12 months before they saw any real meaningful traction. And I'm, that's not to say that you're not going to see any traction. That's not to say that you're not going to see any reward. But you really do need to get into that consistent habit of sharing and writing and creating every single day and then reflecting on that creation to understand how did it perform? Why did it perform well? Why did it not perform well? And then baking that into your future content. And so that is what you need to do and you need to play the long game. You need to be willing to do that for I would say probably about six months before you start to see that hockey stick uh, begin to form and you start to see that curve shape up. And so this is something that most people miss. They want results in 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. And of course, there are hacks that let you get a really big surge of whatever it is, following your engagement or anything else. But those hacks don't really tend to last. They don't tend to be the foundation for long-term growth. And so if you want a quick, easy, cheap, dirty way to get followers and get engagement quickly and hit those you know, vanity goals, then sure, you can do that. But if you're building a brand that is in it for the long term and that you want to be really, really massive, it's going to take you that critical period of about six months where you're showing up every day, you're not missing days, you're creating, you're sharing on a regular basis. That's what you're going to need to do if you want to see that significant growth there. And lastly, that third piece is around customer discovery. But I, I don't know if that's the right term for it. It's really about, you know, audience discovery and understanding what your audience wants. So most people, most creators, uh, most people creating a personal brand, they kind of take this, if you build it, they will come mentality where they start to share and they expect that other people will see the value in their content and then, you know, they'll grow from there. But really it's the reverse. Instead, what we need to do is get out and understand our target audience and what they care about, what pain points they have, what their desired outcomes are, what obstacles are keeping them from getting there. And then we need to write for those specific things. And I don't know a single creator, again, at the six-figure, seven-figure level who started just by writing about stuff and saying, I hope people like this. Instead, all of those people, maybe they did start that way, but then they quickly realized that you know, they weren't getting the traction that they wanted. And so they flipped the script and they focused deeply on their customers, on their audience and what those people wanted. So the best way to do this is to just get out there and talk to people in your audience. And I would do this through just offering some 30 minute calls to folks and talking to them about, you know, their situation. Now, if you are, you know, a corporate professional and your audience is other people in your space, you're kind of already doing this, you know, in your day to day by talking to other people on your team, you know, people on other teams, etc. But you do want to get more intentional about the information that you take out of that. So you want to understand, you know, you want to be identifying specific pain points that come up in singular conversations, and then in multiple conversations and across teams. And this is the way that you do that, that discovery. Um, if you're not, you know, let's say an entrepreneur, or, you know, a, a, a full time creator, but you're somebody who's working at a company, you still can do this. But the target audience is going to look a little bit different. And the way that we might you know, position this is going to be a little bit different. But no matter what, you need to think about who you're speaking to, who you want to be hitting that like button on your post, commenting on your posts, etc. You need to go find those people and you need to have conversations with them about what they're struggling with, desired outcomes, and all the stuff that I mentioned before. And then you need to have a way to capture the information they give you, synthesize it, and then identify those common threads. So it's actually very similar to what I talked about in breaching that plateau on LinkedIn, breaking through 
through that. Same thing goes here. I mean, you're sort of hitting a plateau early on if you're not understanding what your audience actually wants. And so the best way to, to break through that is to go out there and get the data straight from the source and then to understand how you can bake that stuff into your content and make your content more focused on what your audience wants to see rather than just sharing you know, what you might think is valuable. Because a lot of times the stuff that we think isn't always uh, the way that it's received. And that's happened to me many times on LinkedIn. I've shared posts that I thought would crush it that totally flopped. And I've shared posts that I thought would totally flop that crushed it. And so we really need to just accept that the audience is going to make the decisions for, you know, what they like and what they don't like. And then as creators, you know, it's our job to understand what that is and kind of marry that to the things that we want to talk about. And if you can do that, that's when you're going to really start to see that high impact personal brand. So those are the three things that I would say that you need. And those are the three things that I've seen consistent across creators who do have those high impact personal brands. So Jean-Noel, I hope that was helpful. And that about does it for our Ask Austin Anything for February here. So thank you again for all of your questions. I really appreciate them as always. And if you want to ask a question and have me answer it on the podcast here, all you need to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. It's the letter A three times. You can submit your question there and I will look through them and bring them to the table for next month's episode. That's it for today. Thank you as always for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode of the podcast. 